the Irish Times business podcast in association with Irish Life. Supporting companies and their employees for 75 years. We know Irish Life. We are Irish Life. Good day and welcome to the Irish Times business podcast. I'm Arthur Beasley. Well, yet again this week, there's no escaping the Greek saga. Banks are closed, so is the stock market, and the country has already defaulted on a 1.6 billion IMF debt. To discuss it all, I'm joined by John McManus, Irish Times business editor, Chris Johns, a columnist in the paper, and by Conal McQuilla, chief economist at Davy Stockbrokers. As we speak today, Wednesday, it's clear that the Greek government is seeking a way out of the mire by saying at the very last minute that it will accept most of the creditors' proposals. But it's not a done deal yet. Far from it. John McManus, one week ago on this very podcast, you said you reckoned there would be a deal in the end. Do you still think there will be a deal? I, I do. I think we also said it would be at the last minute and very messy. And uh, there's nothing that's happened in the intervening seven days that changes that. And um, it's still quite hard to see how, where we sit today, how it actually will play out. But the big, cha- the big important thing is that the Greeks seem to have capitulated this morning. And it, even if they actually, if that turns out to be the case, then it's really just going to become a, a some sort of technical exercise and finding a way to close one bailout and start another and uh, agree the various terms and conditions. But it's been dreadfully messy. It has, but you know without being too cynical, that is the European way because it's uncharted territory and um, nobody really knows what they're doing, I suppose. I mean, certainly the Greeks don't appear to have anything. They they imagined for a minute the reality of um, putting your banking system into cold storage and uh, having your pensioners unable to get money and, and, you know, and and I don't suppose the the European sides believe for a minute it would go this far either. Mulquilla, we were uh, just discussing outside that uh, this entire saga is now going on for longer than World War Two. World War Two lasted 69 months. We're into the 70th month now. Uh, are you surprised at the way things have ended up this week being so particularly bad? Um, well, I think when you consider the Minister of Finance is an expert in game theory in Greece, um, to kind of go this far, push the economy back into recession, have to impose capital controls on banks, default on the IMF, and then it appears today at least uh, capitulate. It doesn't strike me as an extremely effective strategy, whatever the merits of um, whether you should impose this level of fiscal consolidation or go for a stronger debt write-off. Um, it hasn't been a very effective strategy. I suppose what's kind of uh, struck me over the last couple of years is that the first debt write-off back in 2011 pushed the European economy into recession. Uh, investors herded into German bonds. You saw that uh, lack of confidence translating to companies putting off investment spending. So we got effectively a double dip. Uh, so over the past uh, two years, ever since the ECB effectively announced uh, the OMTs and said, you know, we weren't, we weren't going to allow uh, the sovereign debt crisis kind of spread, it's been pretty much uh, a pretty slow but consistent recovery since then. These PMI surveys we have um, for the European economy are actually the strongest level in four years in June. So despite we've had this kind of drama and headlines and negotiations, the European economy has been able to pick up at a reasonable pace over the past 12 months to two years. Uh, And it remains to be seen, given the events just this week, whether that's sufficiently strong to make companies in Europe delay 
investor spending again or make households nervous enough to kind of push the recovery off course. And to be honest, I'm not sure, but I think it will probably go okay as long as I don't get another big accident over the next couple of weeks. But what of the thesis that the assumption in markets throughout was that there would be a deal, that there would be a settlement, and all of a sudden, when the referendum was called very, very, very unexpectedly at the weekend, that the markets suddenly began to say, oh dear, this Grexit phenomenon might actually happen, we have to look at this again. Absolutely, and I suppose if you went back to the um, spring meetings at the IMF, uh, the mood music there was that the Europeans felt they'd done enough to withstand this kind of thing. They'd shored up their banks, capital had gone in. Uh, also, you have the ECB doing quantitative easing, so you have this constant buyer of bonds pushing yields down. Um, so they felt, you know, the mood music there from the Europeans, maybe with some more critical remarks from the United States, is that uh, effectively they were in the position to withstand a default from Greece or even a euro exit. Now, the IMF themselves would say that's extremely uncertain. There's all kinds of unforeseen um, implications that could arise. Would we see a lack of confidence in Spanish bonds and Spanish banks and Portuguese banks? I'm not sure, but certainly the position of the circumstances are far better now when you've got the ECB flooding the market with liquidity. Um, capital positions are better. There's not that much more fiscal adjustment to do in the likes of Portugal, Spain, Italy. So... Um, that's why the Europeans are probably playing hardball now rather than the sort of rather than agreeing maybe two years ago. It was hard to, to know though, wasn't it, whether whether it was that the, the markets believed the system was strong enough to withstand a Greek exit or whether they really just believed there was still going to be a deal. Uh, and we probably won't ever know, really. But. Well, it's a form of, of game theory, I suppose, in its own right. And the thing about game theory is that there are two parts. The first is that it's a game, and the second that it's only a theory. But what we're dealing with here is real time, Chris. Yes, absolutely. It all stems from that 2010 bailout that was um, totally mismanaged. Um, debt should have been written off back then. It wasn't. And everything... Uh, since then has flowed from that very one bad decision. And what happened in 10 was that the private investors were kept whole and what happened yes. and, and the, after the deal the pri- private yeah. investors started dumping the Greek yeah. bonds and most of those bonds ended up in public it sector was a, hands. a stealth bailout of French and German banks in the most part. There are other private investors involved but in the most part not unlike our own bailout it was a stealth bailout of German and French banks. It was deemed at the time that they were too weak to withstand a Greek default, and so therefore Greek, Greece should not be allowed to default. We're now in the situation where the, that decision, coupled with the decision not to allow anybody else to default, particularly the Irish, um, the main reason why we are in the situation whereby nobody is being allowed to default is because nobody has been allowed to default. And if you let the Greeks do it, everybody else is going to be back at the table. The second reason why they're not allowing the Greeks to get away with anything is that they simply don't trust them anymore. Those are, those are the two reasons. But the main one goes back to that 2010 bad decision. John is right. A deal probably will be done. But the only deal that is going to be done will be if the Greeks have capitulated. No, the Germans clearly are not going to do a deal on any other basis than that, than a Greek capitulation. And that at the moment looks quite possible. Um, after that, um, if the Greeks don't capitulate, um, I think it's absolutely right to say that we're, we are absolutely in unknown territory, probably Grexit. 
And it is the reality in this negotiation that if there is to be debt relief or if the Europeans are to capitulate, that the European leaders at the other side of the negotiation would have to turn back to their own taxpayers and say, look at guys, we're taking a bath of tens of billions in the case of Germany, in the case of France, on these loans to Greece, which at that point change from loans to straightforward fiscal transfers. And that goes back to 2010 again, because the only other option available to them would have been to have bailed out those German and French banks directly with taxpayers' money. Um, And they have done it indirectly by stealth, the political consequences of which can only be imagined. And it's the same again. Uh, The deal that will be done this week will be on the basis of a Greek capitulation, absolutely. But because it won't involve debt relief, or at least assuming it won't involve debt relief, it won't be the last deal that has to be done because we will be back at the table sooner rather than later because the only thing that solves this is recognising finally that the Greeks owe an awful lot of money that they're not going to pay back. Colonel McQuilla, uh, no debt relief for Greece. Uh, What does that mean for the Greek economy? Um, well, first of all, I should say the you know the Europeans have said they'll consider debt relief uh, in September. I think it's quite surprising they haven't actually made a part of the uh, negotiations at the moment, maybe for the political reason just spoken about. But I think that has to be part of the solution ultimately. Uh, at the moment, what it means for Greece, um, there are views that high levels of government debt tend to reduce GDP growth. Um, you might remember the famous spreadsheet error with uh, Reinhardt and Rogoff. That's a little bit controversial at the moment. Um, but look, the high levels of debt, it means that people are extraordinarily unlikely to invest in the Greek economy. They're worried about future taxes, all of those things. So, um, but, but wouldn't creditors say that the interest rates on the national debt of Greece are in fact quite low and that the actual repayments, the bulk of them don't actually fall due until the 2020s. So it's not in fact an issue to be overcome right now. Um, well, I've heard this argument, and first of all, that rests on the ECB keeping interest rates at zero forever. So if you actually believe the IMS forecast that Greece will start to grow by 3.5% on average over the next five years, that's presumably because Europe is doing quite well and the ECB will be raising interest rates at some point in the interim. So if they raise interest rates, uh, suddenly those kind of deals to repatriate excess profits from other central banks back to Greece, um, they become... They, effectively, Greece's cost of funding will have to increase as well. So when you've got 180% of GDP as a government debt level, uh, you really can't sustain that in the longer term. And effectively, it's been sustained in some way at the moment by the fact that uh, with the kind of roundabout flows of cash from Greece to the European Central Bank and then back to Greece again, effectively a large part of government debt in Greece is funded at 0%. Um, now, that can't persist in the long term when the ECB raises rates Greece's cost of funding will effectively rise. So 180% is unsustainable, whatever the current interest payments are. So it will have to be written off at some point, and German taxpayers are going to have to understand they are not going to get their money back, and that's all there is to it. But that's something which is going to come into play down the line, it seems to me. It seems that the best that uh, Mr. Cyprus can hope for at this point is some kind of a backdated promise or a forward-dated promise in which the creditors will agree to treat of the matter down the line. Uh, Absolutely, and I suppose it's politics here, it's trust. Um, At one level, there's former ex-IMF officials saying, you know, debt write-off has to be part of the solution. It's surprising it's not part of the current negotiations. There's been a few comments that it may come in September. I'm surprised they haven't had a bit of leeway on both sides. Um, Clearly, Angela Merkel thinks that she can't promise debt relief at this point because of um, German voters' uh, concerns. At the same time, if you look at Greece, 
Uh, they've done an awful lot in terms of uh, reducing their um, their primary balance or cutting spending and raising taxes. But there are still enormous things that frustrate uh, Europeans. If you look at even just two years ago, Greece uh, collected less tax revenues as a percent of GDP than any other European economy. And that's got to do with the real problems they have in terms of tax collection. The sectors in the economy that effectively fake their accounts or just don't pay tax. Uh, and those kind of stories <clears throat> create extraordinary amounts of frustration in other countries, uh, maybe even poorer than Greece. And the very nice story in the FT that pension payments in the likes of Lithuania, Estonia, Bulgaria are far lower than they are in Greece. And yet these are the same countries that are meant to be bailing Greece out. So, well, they are in practice. It's well, not they even that they're meant to be, but <laughs> is, is, is that they are. Well, they are. Or, well, the bailout is now over, of course. Um, but, uh, you know, there's give and take here. I'm surprised that debt write-off hasn't been brought forward into this set of negotiations. At Irish Life, we can tell you that 49% of employees in Ireland don't think about tomorrow. They don't have a pension plan. We can help you help them. Because if you're involved in running your company's pension plan, we can administer it for you. With our member-specific investment solutions, online access for employers, trustees and members, and always-on smartphone apps. Just call one of our corporate team on 01704-1845. Visit irishlifecorporatebusiness.ie or contact your pension consultant to find out how we can help your company think of tomorrow. We know Irish Life. We are Irish Life. Irish Life Assurance PLC is regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland. All information source for Irish Life, September 2014. John McManus, uh, I can recall, I think, being on the phone to you from a European summit uh, precisely three years ago when uh, the leaders of Europe said that they would uh, make an agreement with Ireland to provide retrospective recapitalisation aid for the Irish banks. Now, that was perceived at the time as a huge breakthrough, uh, all our problems were going to be over, and that promise turned out to be, well, something less than a cast-iron promise. Yeah, and I suppose that's that's the that's the trust issue. I mean, it's not as though it was completely useless to us because it was a, a card we had to play vis-a-vis the other deals that were being done, the promissory notes and, and what have you. Um, I'm not sure the Greek situation is quite so... Is, is is that comparable because they actually do need, as, as we all seem to agree, uh, debt write-off. Uh, but but they don't need it now. They don't need it this year. They don't need it next year for the reasons Carl was, Carl was just going through. But they might need, but, but they need it politically. But they need. They uh, it would appear that they do. They 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 need something. It's very hard to see how uh, uh, if Cyprus has has conceded today what he's got. He would appear to have uh, have brought the whole house down and got absolutely nothing. He, he conceded to the second bailout continuing and uh, and uh, going into a third bailout with nothing particularly, no, nothing to show for it. So maybe maybe that write-off is, it, maybe that's something that will, that will suddenly come on the table in the next day or two. Chris Jones, do you think the referendum will actually happen? Obviously, I don't know. Um, it's quite possible that if the capitulation is complete, that it won't. Um, I guess now that they realise that the opinion polls are saying that a no vote appears to be the most likely if they go ahead, which, you know, is um, a catastrophe. That's Grexit. Um, certainly according to Angela Merkel, it's, it's, it's Grexit. So I suspect... It's very difficult to come back from a no vote. It's though. very, very difficult to come back from that. And I suspect that it's as, that, as much as anything, has sparked this um, capitulation this morning, is that they finally realise what is actually going to happen next week if they um, decide that they don't want any part of the euro. 
And it's also the case that the Greek banks uh, are under acute strain at the moment. The banks are shut. There's a limit on withdrawals. There are suggestions that some of the banks might indeed close, suggestions elsewhere that the limit on withdrawals, currently €60, might come down. So they really are in the the white heat of crisis, if you like. Absolutely. And no banks, no economy. It really is as simple as that. And, you know, this bank shutdown in and of itself would be a recession-inducing event, irrespective of anything else that's going on. If it just lasts for a short while, then hopefully the impact will be relatively small. But each day that it goes by the less economic transactions are taking place. And that's the Greek economy going further into recession, which, of course, has a direct feedback loop into the debt dynamics, which is at the heart of all of this. The debt becomes more unsustainable the less GDP there is in Greece. And if you ain't got banks, you ain't got much GDP. What about the role of the ECB in all this, Connor? Um, Well, the ECB is in a difficult place. It has Greek banks which, you know, have recapitalized themselves, um, sold assets to right-size themselves and not be so large. Uh, and they've really had this sort of bank run, about $30 billion since January uh, through to June. And the Huge ECB having to replace... The Greek banks have had a bank run, so deposits leaving about $30 billion. Huge. And the ECB have had to replace that. So we now have ELA, which we used to have here in Ireland, in great amounts. Well, that's 89... 90, 90 billion. 90 billion. Um, or 89, to be precise, uh, What's a, what's a billion at this point? Well, that, that, <laughs> sorry to cut across you. It's not, it's not that big in the context of the ECB's balance sheet, yeah. in the context of the European banking system. This should be like Sligo defaulting. It really should. It's that small. It's that trivial. It shouldn't be the big deal that it is. This has been like a nuclear accident in which we've sent in two competing teams of plumbers to fix, both of whom have competing ideas about how not to fix the problem. <laughs> I've never heard of Pursu- in that way. But, uh, pursuing uh, them <laughs> relentlessly as well. No? well after, I think we're sitting here in Dublin and it's very easy to make light of people in Sligo, but people in Sligo are important too and you know, they want to benefit from uh, economic growth just like the rest of us. Well, I'm the son of a Sligo woman, so I can <laughs> confirm that. But uh, I suppose that the more interesting point is um, the ECB is doing, I think, what it, it really has in some ways no role in this. It's considered the banks as a very strict set of rules about how it does that. What's more interesting, I think, is really the IMF because the IMF went through a process in the 1990s where it bailed out um, Asian economies, places like Thailand, Indonesia, and was seen to have effectively transferred private sector debts onto public sector governments. Uh, and I think the staff went through a process where they recognised that that had to stop and we had to have bail-in, we had to have bonds written off. Uh, it was not there to effectively bail out credit of private investors who had taken risks and those risks hadn't come off. Um, I think they learned from that and their... The staff themselves would have um, probably preferred to have you seen more debt write-offs. And in Ireland's case, they were arguing for bonds to be burnt. But effectively, you've seen the Europeans, like the ECB, the Euro Commission, learning by doing, doing this the first time around and repeating the same mistakes that the IMF's, IMF made in the 1990s. And if you look at people like what Ashoka Modi are saying, um, they're pretty annoyed that um, the current leadership of the IMF are effectively politicians representing the same European countries that are repeating those same mistakes and um, denying, even in 2010, you had the head of the ECB saying there would be no default in Greece when there clearly was going to have to be a default in Greece. So I think the IMF's role is particularly, particularly problematic. All of their research has suggested we should be dealing with these problems in a very different way, including debt write-off, and yet the leadership has been very much um, towing the line with the European government. It was Dominic Strauss-Kahn's fault. His executive board, members of his executive board back in 2010 told him that this bailout was wrong. 
the IMF analysis that was conducted at the time, which said that the reforms, the famous structural reforms that were supposed to accompany the bailout, um, wouldn't depress the economy that much. That turned out to be catastrophically wrong economic analysis. And they were told at the time by their own executive board that it was wrong. And they've subsequently owned up to it being wrong. But as we just heard, they've continued to make the same mistakes. I would speculate that this is probably the last European leader of the IMF that we'll see as a result of this crisis. Yeah, I'm not sure I'd agree that the ECB isn't a, a political actor in all this, because if there's one thing that's brought the Greeks to the table, it's their banking system shutting down. And, um, you know, if they're, they're, the ECB meets today, and if they were to, not sure they will, to 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 start uh, uh, funding the Greek banks again in response to what Cyprus has done, then it would seem overtly political what they're what what they're doing and I'm not sure it's where they particularly want to be but um well in principle you you would think that there is a little bit of time in as much as the greek people have been told that the banks are going to remain closed for the remainder of this week and won't be reopening until next week so there is a little bit of space but there. i mean as chris was saying every day the banks are closed uh, you know you, you're probably into sort of percentage percentages of percentages of gdp in terms of uh, recession of course, but at the same time, uh, you know, it's difficult to see an ECB uh, agreeing to suddenly uh, open up the spigots again, absent an actual deal. They're in an impossible situation because, as they rightly keep on saying, behind the scenes mostly, but occasionally they come out and say it, they're having to pick up the mess that's been made by the politicians who keep making these serial errors um, of judgment during these bailouts and more generally failing to complete the Euro project to do all of the things that that list of that menu list of choices that they have to make to finish things off to create single banking systems single fiscal systems all of the other things that the monetary union requires are always put on the back burner as soon as the crisis subsides the ECB is very cheesed off that it has to pick up the pieces from these serial errors so it's very much in the middle of this yes and doesn't want to be what does all this mean for Ireland? We have come very close this week to a Brexit. It looks now like it might not happen. Uh, and when we saw turmoil in the markets at the start of the week, it appeared that Irish bond deals were unaffected. Uh, yeah, well, the bond market um, reaction has shown that people kind of distinguish us from maybe Southern Europe, where we had Italian yields are up uh, 23 basis points, I think it was, and um, Portuguese yields are up 35. So... People are distinguishing us. I think this would have been far more serious maybe two years ago when the banking sector was still losing, or maybe two or three years ago when the banking sector was still losing deposits. Um, these kind of fears could have pushed them the cost of funding for Irish banks, the sovereign, uh, and that passed that through into um, also companies and households. So we're now seeing mortgage rates fall um, at the moment in Ireland. That certainly wouldn't be happening if we were seeing banks' funding costs increase. So really it's about the indirect effects and if the European economy goes into recession. I think that's an open question, but... You know, our exports are concentrated in the ICT sector, which is kind of on its own cycle. Is Google going to stop investing because of what's happening in Greece? I'm not sure. Uh, you look at pharmaceuticals, your typical kind of defensive sector, people have to take medicine, agricultural products, uh, food. Again, those are kind of acyclical, not particularly uh, affected if there's a European recession or less so. Uh, and also we're exposed more to the United States and the UK, which... Um, are doing pretty well at the moment. So, look, of course, exports will suffer if Europe goes into recession. Maybe some of those companies investing right now in Ireland will have second thoughts and wait and see. Um, but we're relatively insulated relative to somewhere like 
even Italy or um, Spain, let's say, to what's going on in Greece at the moment. And within your own work, you're you're at the end of the phone uh, within Davies. Davies is a large organisation, many, many clients uh, here, there and everywhere. Do you get uh, inquiries from clients outside of Ireland asking, look at how how are you guys in Ireland fixed? Um, It's a question that's asked. I think Brexit is probably asked as much as well as the Grexit question. It's not something that anyone's gone out there and selling Irish bonds aggressively on or getting particularly worried about. It affects everyone. And, um, you know, these are people who manage money and have to invest in European equities or European bonds and they're making choices between Ireland and Spain or Ireland and Greece or Ireland and Portugal. And, you know, they look at Ireland relatively favourably. But they'll always run the risk that, you know, the entire European economy goes into recession uh, and that will affect profit. So... It is a concern and it's a difficult question to answer, but um, it's not one which is, um, you know, holding people back from, you know, investing in Irish assets or holding ICT companies in terms of their announcing jobs or planning to expand their business yet. Chris Johns, what are the notion that, uh, you know, on a, on a tumultuous day, such as we saw on Monday, that, uh, you know, Ireland right now is simply not top priority and that really the impact on Irish borrowing costs might not be seen uh, for uh, a couple of weeks, uh, a couple of, might not be seen for a couple of weeks in a scenario where a, a Grexit was actually taking place? I think it's right to say that we are relatively insulated because of our own debt dynamics. This has been all about debt, Greek debt dynamics. You know, so long as our growth holds up and our interest rates stay reasonable, um, our debt, high though it is, is sustainable. Um, we couldn't uh, reach that conclusion if, for example, we were talking about the US and UK economies going back into recession, and emphatically we're not. Um, those are the kinds of things that we would have to worry about. Even the euro area economy slipping back into recession, it isn't growing that strongly, but it's growing, thank goodness. But even that would probably not have um, catastrophic implications for us. Well, uh, that, that's because the, the great driver of the expansion in the Irish economy yeah. right now is, is the expansion in the, in, the, in the US and in Britain. Yeah, it's, it's certainly helped by that a lot. And um, it's right also to say that a lot of the sectors that we have here are relatively insulated from what would be hap- what could happen in Europe. So yeah, we are in a reasonably good place. It, it's not without risks. You know, there are fragilities in every single economy, as we, as we have discovered in in our recent past. So I think it would be wrong to be complacent, um, very wrong to be complacent. But for now, it looks as if we're okay. John McMahon, uh, the government has said that it plans uh, an IPO of Allied Irish Banks, uh, a privatisation of the nationalised pillar bank. Um, Do you think that could be disrupted by uh, the turmoil surrounding Greece? I think it probably depends how prolonged the Greek turmoil turmoil is. You know, this this could all be over by next week if, um, if, if Greece agrees a third bailout. Um, Greece will Greece will obviously have its own exacerbated its own pro- own problems, but you know it'll you know Europe will turn to other issues. I think on the other point, there is there is a danger of the best little country mindset sort of setting in here, but um, there's probably reasonable reasons to believe that Ireland's economy is on a sound footing, and that's probably what somebody looking to invest in AIB will will be focusing on. What's the business case, in other words? Yeah, I mean, you're, you have a, if Ireland is growing, it's a chance to buy into uh, one of two banks in a duopoly. And, uh, you know, it, it, it's a reasonable bet. It, the issue is it's how, all, the, all the stuff that's still kind of brushed under the carpet. Going back to Greece, 
What are the notion that what we, we, we could be in for uh, an election and the possibility of a national unity government taking power while that elect while you have a shakeout? In other words, that you wouldn't have the settlement everyone is hoping for and that it just goes on and on and on again. Well, I think it's going to go on and on and on. That's that's the only thing we can say with some certainty. But it's just that that it, and it is. It's 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 essentially Greece on life support until the debt thing is dealt with. But you know that's given the given the choices on the table at the moment. That's that's not a bad one. So I think you know most people would take that. Colin McQuillan. Uh, in terms of an election, will there be yeah. one? Um, I suspect them. <laughs> Well, we may or may not have even have a referendum on Sunday at the moment, so who's to say? But I'm only a, a, an economist. I can possibly digress into areas I know nothing about. But you'd have to imagine Cyprus's government <laughs> will fall apart on the basis of conceding, if he has conceded. And then you have the national unity government, so you have to have an election. Having campaigned for years, not just in the recent past, against um, everything that the Europeans want him to do, to now simply turn around and say, OK, in a letter, doesn't really, which he has signed, doesn't really <laughs> stack up for a sustainable political future for Mr. Cyprus, does it? Well, let's see. I mean, who, who knows? He might have um, he might have one of those uh, late night TV interviews, or indeed a dead of night uh, discussion in Parliament. I was observing uh, tweets coming out of Athens on Saturday. It was, uh, uh, I believe, they were still talking there at three thirty in the morning. So Dublin isn't the only place in See, which we have the ironic all thing, night parliamentary debate. The ironic thing is is that, as, as always with these very complicated affairs, there is a little bit of truth on all sides here. And one of the points that they're making, which is that austerity has depressed the Greek economy in the past and will do so again. And if all he's going to do now is implement an awful lot of austerity, the Greek economy, combined with what is happening at the moment, doesn't have a a, a particularly great outlook. Eventually it will recover, of course it will. And indeed it was, interestingly, at the end of last year. That's right, it was on the cusp of recovery. It it was starting to grow. That's true. um, And it will grow again one day. Um, But how we get from here to there um, is anybody's guess. Chris Johns, thank you very much. Conal McQuiller, thank you very much. And John McManus, thank you very much. You've been listening to the Irish Times Business Podcast. I'm Arthur Beasley. Thank you indeed.